we have the great pleasure today of having Jake Anderson come bring the word to us. And Jake's been busy uh, preaching at Hoosier, and it's been a while since he's been here. And so I don't know about you, but I'm very much looking forward to what he has to say to us today. So, Jake. Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody has had a great week and everybody is excited as I am to be in God's Word because I am revved up. Uh, like Rob said, I've, had the, I've been blessed with being able to go to Hoosier and bring the Word a couple times and uh, it's been truly amazing to see God's work in my life and I can't stress it enough. I talked about it in Sunday school that some of you have got to watch me grow over the past handful of years and some of you have watched me over a majority of my life grow and I got to give all the glory to God and everything that he's done in my life has led me to this point. So uh, we're going to do a little bit something different today, which I alluded to in Sunday school. Uh, usually I pick a group of verses and I really study hard in the verses and uh, we go through the Bible and tie everything together in that group. And I was led and I just felt so compelled to look at Jonah. So today we're going to be in the book of Jonah, Jonah 2 verses 1 through 10. So instead of studying those verses really, really deep, we're going to take those verses and we're going to explore the whole book of Jonah. Because I feel like it's very important for this that we truly understand the book. It's only four chapters, so if anybody's thinking, holy cow, we're going to be here all day, I assure you, I am so excited and nervous that we're going to breeze right through this. Um, I have some questions for everybody, and if, if you'd like to raise your hand, that would be great. And if not, if you don't, you're embarrassed or just don't want the attention drawn to you, that's fine. You don't have to. But my first question to everybody is, who in here has read the book of Jonah? Read the book of Jonah, okay. Who in here has heard about Jonah? A lot of people's heard about Jonah. Yep. Okay, here's the tough one. Who in here would be surprised if I told you that the book about Jonah isn't just a story about a stubborn prophet being swallowed by a fish? Would anybody be surprised if I told you it wasn't really about a fish? A fish is a small part of the story, and that's why I thought it was so important that we cover the book so that we truly understand the meaning of the book because when I was a child, I heard the story of Jonah. Stubborn prophet ran from God, swallowed by a fish, lived in the fish's belly for three days. That's what I knew about Jonah. And I was preparing for this and that's what I had in my mind. I'm like, you know, I need to understand this. But to truly understand the whole book, the fish is just a little section. So today we're gonna start with uh, chapter two, verses one through 10. If we'd all please rise and stand to honor the word of God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your bellows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Then the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars were closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, 
O Lord, my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. So let's go to the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this day, this beautiful fall day. We want to thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We want to thank you for leading all of us here today so that we may grow and learn. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds so that we can take this lesson a day, this word, your word, and we spread it through the world, Lord. Please lead, guide, and direct us in all things that we do. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so I know what some of you are probably thinking. I said it's not about a fish, and then I read about the fish, right? <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to find out what got Jonah to this point, right? It's really important. It's a good children's story, right? Catches their eye, catches their imagination. A man was swallowed by a fish. Yeah, that catches my imagination. But we're going to study chunks of the book to understand what led Jonah to the belly of the fish and then where the story goes from the fish because I think the fish takes away from the whole lesson and we'll find out at the end. I don't want to spoil it. I tried to spoil it for Heather, but she wouldn't let me because I was so excited. I was talking about it. I said, you want me to tell you the end? She goes, no, don't tell me the end. I'm like, okay. So a little background. It says uh, that we can find Jonah in two other parts of the Bible, which I found was interesting. The first time that we see Jonah in 2 Kings. And he's actually a prophet of the Lord and he brings the word of the Lord to Jeroboam the second. Then the second time, Jesus refers to Jonah. He refers to the sign of Jonah. And it's in Matthew and Luke. It says the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Just like Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, right? That's pretty awesome that Jesus you know, would talk about it. Because the whole time I'm thinking it's just about a fish. But we see him in other parts of the Bible. So we're going to start and we're going to break chapter 1 into two sections. We're going to break it into verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 17. So the first part says, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah's a prophet, right? So the Lord speaks to him. And this book's unique. As I was studying and listening to other sermons and doing studies, the other books of the prophets were the word of the Lord through the prophet. And this the book of Jonah is so unique, it's a story about Jonah. None of the other books about the prophets are stories about the prophet. So this makes the book of Jonah unique. And it's such a complex story. The way that it twists and turns and in the end, it truly, truly amazed me. So I'm so excited to share it with you. So enough about the end. I'm just going to jump right in the beginning. So it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He said, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. So Jesus is talking to him. He says, get up, you're going to go to Nineveh, and you're preaching preach against their evil. So uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, they were not friends of the Hebrews or the nation of Israel. They were enemies. Assyrians were great warriors. They fought great battles. And actually, I found out that their battle tactics are still studied today. But... They were also very notorious for their brutal acts. They would do some very, very brutal things. So God's telling Jonah, you need to get up. You're going to go to the capital of your enemy, and you're going to preach against them. These brutal people 
you're going to you're going to march in there and you're going to preach against them. So Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. So God's telling him, you're going to go to Nineveh. And he gets up, he travels down to Joppa to a port and boards a ship to sail for Tarshish. So I looked it up and Joppa is on the Mediterranean Sea at the southern end of Israel. And Nineveh is in modern day Iraq. So some of the studies I looked into about where Tarshish was, most of them agreed that it was on the western side of the Mediterranean. Some of them even pinpointed that it was the southwestern coast of Spain. So we have a man, a prophet of God, that is called upon to go preach against evil, and he is going in the complete opposite way. Not just the opposite way, that likely would have been the, known, the, ed the edge of the known world to Jonah. He is traveling just absolutely as far as he can travel away from what he's called to do. So he's up, and he gets on this uh, boat on a port, and he's like, you know, I'm not going to do it, right? The stubborn prophet. I thought, he's got to be scared. He's got to be scared to death. God's telling him, you're going to go to your enemy, these brutal people, and you're going to preach against the evil things they do. And he's fleeing. And I'm like, I'd be scared to death too. So he gets on a boat, and they set sail. And the Lord's, nope, you're not fleeing from me, right? So he rises up a great storm. So now there's this storm, and they're on a boat, in the Mediterranean Sea, and it's not a small body of water. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the size of the Mediterranean Sea. I have been on the Mediterranean Sea, and I have seen a storm on the Mediterranean Sea. So when I was deployed, we went to the Persian Gulf, and when I was headed there, nice and calm, I spent six months in the Persian Gulf, and there's no weather. When I say there's no weather, I mean there's no weather. It's hot, hot, and hot, and that's it. So we're coming back, and there were some sailors that got flown on the ship, you know, people move and you know fluctuates the population on the ship it's a big ship i'm going to say population because it was a big ship on the way back we get into the mediterranean sea cool waters were ready for cool showers but we hit a storm and i'm here to tell you i was on an aircraft carrier i wasn't on a wooden ship like jonah huge man-made piece of steel floating through the, the sea and i was scared we were trying to lock down the ships the waves were crashing into the hangar bay and I had never seen some people scared in my life. We didn't, I wasn't scared to die, I was just scared of what's gonna happen. Jonah's in a wooden boat and this storm brews up, right? And the sailors are scared. These pagan sailors are afraid. And it says that they each cried out to his God. So these pagan sailors had just a list of gods, right? That we know the pagans had multiple gods. And each man cried out to his God. So I'm a little partial. I mean, most of you know I'm in the Navy and sailors we're tough, you know, we're tough. So I'm gonna tell you, it takes a lot to get scared, especially in the ocean, because that's, I mean, that's our home, right? That's where we live. We live on the water, we love the water. And these men were scared. I'm gonna look past the part they were pagans. I, you know, we're just gonna focus on them being sailors, from my point of view. But they're all praying to their gods, and they are scared. And you know, they're pleading, and they're asking, and the storm's crashing over the boat. It says that it was so bad, that the mighty tempest on the sea was so bad that the ship threatened to break up. So they're crying out to their gods, and of course we know their gods don't answer because they're not real. So what's the next thing they do? They start to throw the cargo overboard. They're lightening the ship so that the waves crashing over, it makes it more buoyant, it helps it navigate. So they're throwing their livelihood over. They're paid to transport this cargo, and they're so scared, and the ship's threatening to break, that they just start, they're throwing money overboard. 
That's what they're doing. Because their lives mean more than that. So they're throwing the cargo over and it's not helping. So all this is happening. Just this crazy storm, all this stuff happening, people praying, people probably hollering, throwing stuff overboard. And where's Jonah? He is inside the ship. It says he had laid down and he was fast asleep. I'm fleeing God. There's this huge storm happening and he has no worries. He's asleep. So the captain goes down and says to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. So, these men were genuinely scared. They had never seen anything like this, I'm sure. A storm of God, I'm sure, is something that lived with them for the rest of their lives, right? So now Jonah's awake. And we're going to move into the second part of chapter 1. Verse 7 says that they come together to cast lots. And I was a little confused by this, so I did a little investigating, and it's something that they would do. Casting lots, it was, you can see it throughout the Bible. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that they divided things by lots, so they would cast lots. So these sailors decided, we're all praying. This guy's down there sleeping, and we're going to die. So we're going to cast lots to see. Who's responsible for this evil, right? So casting lots, they would use marked stones or something like that, and they would throw them out, maybe kind of like dice. I never got a definitive answer. I, there was a bunch of different ones. But the intent was that you would only get a binary response, that it would produce a binary response, like a yes, no, good, bad. So we cast these lots, and that's how they determined a lot of things. And like I said, it's in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament that it's just something that culturally that they did. So they cast lots. And no surprise, the lot fell on Jonah. Which we know that. He's fleeing God, right? He was called to go to preach against evil. So the lot fell on Jonah. So they began to question him. And this is in verse 8. Because they're in this storm. Their whole world's falling apart. And here's this guy. He was asleep. And it's his fault. So they're questioning him. And I'm going to read it. It says... Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? Because they want to know. They want to know why they're going through this, right? And then Jonah's response is in verse 9. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <clears throat> the sea and the dry land. That really stood out to me when I was reading it. He is fleeing God, right? The God of heaven says he fears the Lord. The sea and the dry land. And I kept thinking, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. You're fleeing God and you get on a boat and you know God is the creator of everything. You get on a boat to sail away from God. So there they are, right? <laughs> it's just ironic to me, I suppose, you know, that he would flee on the water. But I'm sure it was faster and he was just trying to get out of there. So they asked... Jonah, what they can do. They say, what can we do to quiet the sea? And it said that the sea kept growing more tempest and more tempest, so the storm was getting worse. It wasn't getting any better. It wasn't even staying the same, right? Some storms just kind of rain the same amount. It's still growing and growing, and they're trying to figure out what they can do. And Jonah's answer, he said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And I thought, holy cow, Jonah. He said, just throw me over, you know? That's, we're going to fix everything here. Just going to throw me into the sea. And uh, he said, then the sea will quiet down for you, 
For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So that's Jonah's solution. It's not, let's turn around, you know. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. He says, throw me over. Put me in the drink, you know. I'm ready to die. And that was a flag for me. I thought, wow, wow, wow. Jonah's just stubborn, right? Stubborn. Ready to die. Throw me overboard. So they don't listen. And it says that they row harder. Since they rode harder for sure. Because they're probably thinking, this guy's crazy. He just wants us to throw him over in the water. So they just start rowing and rowing and rowing. But did not work, right? Did not work. Said, but they could not reach dry land for the sea grew more and more tempest against them. So the more they tried, the bigger the storm grew, right? The Lord's saying, no, it's my will, not yours. So it says that, that they called out to the Lord. It says, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So these pagan sailors, man of God, says, throw me overboard. And they don't want to die because of Jonah, right? They don't want to die. They also don't want his blood on their hands because they're throwing him into the sea. It's a big place. Jonah's not going to survive. They know this. They see the power of God working in the world, right? They see that Jonah's not obeying, and they're all going through this, but they don't want that guilt, that sin, right? But I found it interesting that they're not praying to the pagan gods anymore, right? Nope. Nope, because they already know that didn't work. So they're praying to God. So after they prayed, it said they picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Just a testament to the power of God. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They're believers, right? They threw a man in and saw just the storm blow away. And they're believers. And then verse 17 finishes this up. For chapter 1 it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So now we're at the fish. So a lot led us up to the fish, right? Jonah's trying to, trying to get away and we can see God's power. Saying, no Jonah, you're not getting away. And the storm. And... Jonah thinks, I'm not going to listen and I'm going to flee. And then the storm happens. He goes, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to have them throw me overboard and die. And the Lord says, nope. And now he's in the fish. So what we read today, verses 1 through 9, was Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of the fish. So I can't even imagine what was going through Jonah's mind as he's being hurled into the ocean. And then he's in the belly of a fish. Wow. You know, I can see why it captures our imagination, right? Because we think fish, it doesn't say whale, it says fish. So he's inside of this fish for three days and three nights. Not just the fish ate him. We believe that, right? There's sharks, there's big whales that might have sucked him up. But he lived inside this fish for three days and three nights. No TV, right? No iPhone, no iPad, no internet. He's inside the belly of this fish with nothing. Just him and his thoughts. And then we read his prayer. He's distressed. He's upset. His plan failed, right? A big failure. He's not fleeing because now he's inside this fish. And he had some time to think and some time to reflect, right? Three days and three nights inside this fish. Like I said earlier, Jesus alludes to the sign of Jonah, right? He lived in the heart of the earth. 
he was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So we know he rose on the third day and defeated death. We know from verse 10 that Jonah's vomited out on dry land. So I read this, and I thought, that's where my child story ends, you know. That's where the cartoon ends. He spit out. Three days and three nights, I read his prayer, and I thought, Jonah's heart's turned. You know, there's a turning of the heart. He says that he has vowed he will pay, and the salvation belongs to the Lord. So, the next part of this is where we're going, right? We've, now we've covered the fish. We've talked about what led up to the fish. Now we're done with fish. And we're going to move on to where we go from here. So he's on dry land. So in chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Jonah a second time. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I, that I tell you. Jonah listens this time. He travels to Nineveh. Goes in to explain that the city was so big it was three days' journey to go across it. Big city, big city. I read that we've discovered it, and archaeologists have dug it up, and we have an idea of how it was set up. Big empire. It says that Jonah traveled about a day's journey into this city and began to preach, preach against it. He said five Hebrew words. Translates to eight English words. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was really shocking to me. All that, all that Jonah's been through. He says five words. Just walks a day, third of the way into the city, says five words. I thought, wow, that was a flag for me. I'm like, why would he do that? Doesn't tell him who's going to overthrow him, right? Doesn't say the Lord my God is going to overthrow you for the evil things you've done. Which is why they'd be overthrown. Doesn't cover that. So it doesn't say who, and it doesn't say why. And he doesn't tell them what they can do to stop it, right? When we go talk to people, we talk about all the glory of God. Accept Jesus Christ in your heart for true salvation, right? Turn away from your evil ways. He doesn't do any of that. Five words. Oh, Jonah. Five words. Didn't learn his lesson, right? So, verse 5 says, The people of Nineveh believe God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Jonah's five-word sermon worked. It worked. It said that they believed God. It goes on to even talk about the king of Nineveh. It says he arose from his throne, removed his robes, which differentiated him from the people, right? His royal robes. He removed them, covered himself in sackcloth, and set in ashes. Powerful, Right? What a testament to the power of God and his will that this enemy of the nation of Israel believe in God now. Amen. Amen to that, right? Amen. The king even took it further. He says, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not drink, let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So not only did they believe in God, the king is making them fast, not just then, the animals too. So to cover the animals in sackcloth, because he knows the power of God and he's fearful of the power of God, right? I thought, wow, wow, this powerful king of the Assyrian nation, right? The Assyrian Empire 
is that fearful and turning from God? And he made that decree. And then in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented faster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do. Amen to that, right? They repented. Their evil ways, they repented from their evil ways, and they turned to God. 180 degrees. And they're saved. That is amazing. That is an awesome power. And I thought, this is a great story. You know, this is a great book. He saved a whole nation. He saved the sailors, right? Jonah. By God showing his power, his divine power and his righteousness, the sailors were saved, said they believed, that they vowed to him and sacrificed to him. And now the whole nation, or the whole city of Nineveh, which is the capital of the nation of Assyria. Good job, Jonah. Right? Old Testament prophet brought the word of God to the city, and the whole city saved. And if the book ends there, it'd be a great book for Jonah, right? Great Jonah. Five words changed the whole city's heart. But then we get to chapter 4, and this is where the, I found the true meaning of the book. <coughs> Starts out, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So all these people have come to God, and Jonah's angry. It says, he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So when I go back to say that he was fearful, when I read it, I thought he was scared for his life. He was going to march into this brutal city and get slain. He was scared for his life when he fled. But now we know in chapter 4, he wasn't. He was fearful of God saving them and to not bring that calamity and that disaster onto the people of Nineveh. That's what he was fearful of. He wasn't fearful of self of, for himself, he was fearful that these people were going to be saved. He says, and I'm going to repeat it, he says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, right? I thought, wow, Jonah. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. Love, right? Love. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. We brought this up and I said, God's worked in my life. He spoke to me and he made me feel so comfortable in the places that I feel uncomfortable. Am I really supposed to be doing that? And then I get these signs, and he's speaking to me saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Be calm. And I told everybody this morning that was in here for Sunday school, I said, this makes me feel better because I was a little doubtful. Because I'm so used to taking some verses and just drilling down on these verses. And for me, the whole book was opened up when I started to read this. So I was a little doubtful and a little hesitant. And then when we had that conversation about loving your enemy is so difficult Love is a simple thing, right? It's so difficult to do. And I said, this makes me just feel so comfortable, and I know that this is what I'm supposed to say today, right? This is what I'm supposed to do. So he was fearful that God was going to show mercy. He didn't want that for his enemies, right? He'd seen all the things they'd done. He didn't want them to be saved. He didn't want mercy. He wanted that disaster on his enemies. He's so mad, he goes on in verse 3, and he says, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. So not only is he mad that they're saved, he don't even want to be alive to witness it. Wow, wow. Stubborn prophet. 
So he goes out from the city. It says he set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. So he set under the shade. So you can see what become of the city. God's so merciful, right? He appointed a plant to grow up to make it cover Jonah. After Jonah resisted, 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 and they had all this anger for this whole city that was saved, God's still merciful, right? So the plant grew up that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. It doesn't say save his life, it says save his discomfort. Said, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Happy about the plant. But when dawn came near the next day, it said that God pointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, it said God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. Three times Jonah's ready to die. And God's been merciful every time. Jonah wanted to die and was thrown off a ship. God was merciful and provided him shelter in the fish, right? He was ready to die because his enemies were saved. They didn't get punished for the evil they had done because God was merciful and he was ready to die. And now because the plant that gave him shade had withered away, he was ready to die. God spoke to Jonah again. He said, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a day. Jonah has nothing invested in this plant, right? Jonah did not plant it. He did not water it. He did not prune it. He is nothing invested, no labor, no time. It provided him shade. It was there in a night, gone the next. And then God flips us all around. And this really opened my eyes, and he said, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So Jonah's so mad, and so mad he can't see, right? He's letting that anger and that fear that his enemy, something's good is going to happen to his enemy, letting that blot him out. And he cares more about the plant than he does those people, because it gave him shade, right? And God's saying, you had nothing invested in the plant. There are 120,000 people in that city. They might not have been believers when Jonah was there, but they are still a creation of God. And now they are children of God. And we know that because it tells us that they were all saved. 120,000 people. Jonah should have been standing at the tallest building in that city praising God that he brought the word that saved 120,000 people. But instead, he let his fear and his anger and his hatred block all that out. So, question time. Who in here thinks that Jonah is the story about a fish? Who in here thinks that the book of Jonah is truly about God's mercy and grace and his love? 
So, as we close today, for the application, I put listen to God's will in our lives. If God calls us to go to our enemies and to tell them about God and how beautiful and wonderful his love is, that we should listen, right? I don't want to get swallowed up by a fish, so I'm going to listen. So we need to go out there and do his will, no matter what it is. And I put, do not let hate, anger, or fear stop us from doing the good work for God and the kingdom in the world, right? We can't let any of that stuff stop us. We have to be a loving people, we have to shine bright. So I want to close with Luke 6, verses 35 and 36. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So thank you guys for your time, and I hope that we can take this, and that we can go out there and we can save people, right? It doesn't matter who they are. So thank you guys for your time. Thank you, Jake.